Blog Talk Radio. Gonna be talking sports, having fun doing it. I want your all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. Of course, and of course, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, an opinion of some sort, give us a call, 646-727-3070. 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show, blogtalkradio.com slash begin. Go to Stitcher. You can watch us, listen to us there. You go to iHeart.com. Look for Go For It, G-O, 4, I-T, G-O, the number 4, I-T. And, of course, blogtalkradio.com slash pgan. And also, goforradio.com. A lot of different places for you. Also, SFTunes. Dot com. So a lot of different places for you to listen to this great show. There's no excuse. So as we go out, go through this hour, excuse me, we're going to talk a lot, a lot of different things. You got, Of course, you got Super Bowl 53. I mean, obviously, that's something big to talk about it. And, of course, we're going to talk about it. And then you got what's going on in the NBA. A lot of craziness. Anthony Davis wants out, um, so we'll see what happens with that. Trade deadline is coming up next week. We'll see what happens with that. And, of course, something did go down, and that's where we're going to start. Something went down yesterday in the National Football Did I say National Football League? In the NBA. And... It was kind of a surprise. It kind of came out of nowhere. You know, we, we knew that or, or had an idea that Kristaps Porzingis was not really happy about the situation with the New York Knicks. We, we you know, it came out that Porzingis wanted to be traded. And then after it came out that Porzingis wanted to get traded, he was traded. <laughs> and it was bad. It, it was fast, it was quick, and it was done in a hurry. Porzingis now is a member of the Dallas Mavericks. And now, you know, you got Dirk on his way out. You got Porzingis on his way in. And, and a guy that many had compared to Dirk Nowitzki throughout his career. So. Porzingis now, he heads over to Dallas to join Luka Doncic in the Mavericks. And, and, you know, if you're the Mavericks, you know, you might have two cornerstone pieces that can take you to that spot, to that place, far, far, far in the playoffs. I mean, you may have gotten those guys now. I mean, Porzingis is coming off an ACL injury, which is always – 
a tough injury to come back from, but he's 7'3", he's long, can block some shots, he can shoot, he can handle, he can do a lot of different things. I think the key with Porzingis is health and whether or not this guy can stay healthy. Hasn't always been the most healthiest of guys, but if he can stay healthy, Obviously, the sky's the limit for this guy. The sky's the limit for Porzingis. And you can understand him not wanting to be with the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks are a franchise, are a team that really doesn't necessarily have a direction. They kind of have a direction at this point, you know, but at times during Porzingis' time with the Knicks, they really didn't have great direction. Phil Jackson really didn't do a great job of directing this franchise the right way and putting this franchise on the up and up. Made some questionable moves along the way. Uh, you know, drafted Frank Nilakila and, you know, resigned or signed Joe Kim Noah to a bunch of money. So a bunch of questionable moves for Phil Jackson, which equated to some bad, bad basketball. You can argue the Porzingis traffic was a good move by Phil, which it was, but he didn't build anything around it. And now you're the Knicks. After this deal, you got, what, about $70 million worth of cap space, which will help you be able to fit in to <clears throat> two max contracts. which obviously is huge, very huge. Two max contracts could get you a Kevin Durant who may be interested in going to New York, could get you a Kyrie Irving who may be interested in going to New York, who knows? we kind of seen this before from the Knicks, where they had a bunch of cap space and really didn't do anything with it. They got Amari Stoudemire. The year that LeBron was a free agent, the year Bosch was a free agent, that big free agent year, that big free agent year, and ultimately didn't work, was that 2010, 2011? Didn't work. Didn't work. So in that during that time frame, they weren't able to get their hands on the marquee free agent. They got Amari Stoudemire. So they struck out. Big time. This time around, they're hoping that maybe they can get their hands on some of the big names. Maybe Clay Thompson. Maybe Kevin Durant. Maybe DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, they got to get their name, you know, their hands on somebody. But I also think the key to this is getting that number one overall pick and getting your hands on Duke Phenom. I mean, this kid, Zion Williamson, he, he, he definitely pops. 
he most definitely pops. So that's a guy that if you're a New York Knicks, that can change the fortunes of your franchise. And Nick would make, well, yeah, it would definitely make the Knicks' situation more desirable. Definitely make their situation more desirable if they have Zion Williamson. If they had Zion Williamson, that situation in New York becomes very, very desirable. Players might want to go there. And, and, you know, I mentioned Kyrie Irving, and at one point we looked at Kyrie Irving and we thought, okay, it was a sure shot that he was going to resign with the Boston Celtics. You know, that was pretty much a done deal. That was done. And what happened along the way, you know, we're hearing reports that, uh, you know, he, he wants to possibly reunite with LeBron. Who knows how true it is? Speculation at this point. We don't know. We don't know. And, you know, Kyrie, why not? Why not Kyrie in New York? There was always thought that he was interested in New York. So why not New York? Why not? If you're able, I mean, a kid, you know, it's a Jersey boy. So if you're able to get your hands on Kyrie Irving and you have Zion Williamson already there in tow, that makes that situation more appealing for Kyrie. Obviously, if you're able to get your hands on Kevin Durant, that makes that situation more appealing for you, for Kyrie. But if you look at the Knicks, it's very important at this point in time that they find a way to use this cap space in a beautiful way. I don't necessarily have a problem with this trade. I don't necessarily have an issue with the trade. Because the reality is, Porzingis didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be there. He made it clear he did not want to be in New York. So if he doesn't want to be there, no need to keep him. Especially when you have an opportunity to clear cap space. And I'm not saying you're going to get Kevin Durant. I'm not saying you're getting Clay Thompson. I'm not saying you're getting Kyrie Irving. But hey, you are New York City. You are, you know, you play at the Mecca of basketball, which is Madison Square Garden. I mean, you have all these different things. New York is an appealing place. A lot of people want to live in New York City. A lot. So if you have an opportunity to play in New York, I mean, some might take that offer. Some might take the money. Hey, here's the thing. If you win in New York City, if you win an NBA title in New York City, they will love you forever. If Kyrie Irving goes to New York, along with Kevin Durant, and they win a championship in New York City, they will be loved forever. They will be not loved. They will be loved. They will love, be loved forever. 
They definitely would. So if this clears the table for you to be able to maybe go after a Kevin Durant, for you to be able to go after a Kyrie Irving, if this clears the table for that to happen, I think it's worth the risk. I definitely think it's worth the risk. Hey, do I think they'll be able to get there? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Durant's thinking. I don't know what Kyrie's thinking. I don't know what Clay's thinking. I don't know what these guys are thinking. But I do know that being in New York City is not a bad thing. I do know if you win in New York City, they will love you. They will adore you forever. It's obviously something that they're obviously going to think about. We'll see how much they think about it. But, you know, hey, maybe the Knicks can get a meeting and they can sell their situation. Maybe. And so now, you know, the Knicks now, you know, they added a Dennis Smith Jr., a guy who was unhappy in Dallas, and maybe this is an opportunity. A lot of people in New York wanted the Knicks to take Dennis Smith Jr. in the draft a couple years ago, but they didn't do it. But anyway, looks like Wes Matthews and DeAndre Jordan are probably two guys who will be probably bought out and, and, you know, maybe they can sign with a contender, the contender in Philadelphia that, that could use a guy like Wes could use a guy like Wes Matthews and a guy like DeAndre Jordan. Can't even talk. But they could use those guys, Matthews and Jordan, in Philadelphia. You know, two bench guys that, you know, obviously a backup center and DeAndre Jordan, if he's willing to go that route. It is a winning situation, an opportunity to win. And, and, and Wesley Matthews, again, a guy who can come off the bench, shoot the three, give you something off the bench. Philadelphia needs that. We'll see what happens. But it was a very, very interesting day in the NBA, and it was shocking. That that deal was shocking. That deal came out of left field. That deal came out of nowhere. That deal came out of nowhere. And now Chris Stapps, Porzingis, is in Dallas and the New York Knicks. They look at the summer. 2019, and think about the possibilities, the possibilities of Durant, the possibilities of Clay Thompson, the possibilities of Kyrie Irving. See what happens. Maybe even Jimmy Butler, for that matter. There was talk he wanted to play in New, uh, New York at one point in time. So the possibilities of Jimmy Butler. Another guy, Anthony Davis. Well, he came out today. Well, a few days ago, it was his agent, Rich Paul Clutch Sports, notified the New Orleans Pelicans that, guess what? Anthony Davis wanted to be traded. And reportedly, he wanted to be traded to one, the one and only the Los Angeles Lakers, the only team that he was interested in going to, were the Los Angeles Lakers. But we'll see what happens there. But anyway... Davis came out today and said, you know what? I feel like it's my time. It's time to move on. He said, quote, I don't know how long I'm going to play this game. People's careers are short. And I feel like it's my time to move on. I feel like I'm in my prime right now. 
I'm playing at an, an elite level. And I want to make sure I take advantage of that. So, Davis did deny that he was interested in going to the Lakers. And obviously, I wouldn't expect him to say otherwise. But he said, quote, I'm not sure where that's coming from. Maybe a connection with my representation. Obviously, Rich Paul, who represents LeBron James, who's LeBron's boy. So the connection is obvious. And when we heard this summer that Anthony Davis had signed with Clutch Sports, which is essentially LeBron James on some level, when when we heard that, my thought, my belief, was that, guess what? Obviously, Anthony Davis is probably going to try to find his way to Los Angeles. Somehow, somewhere. Now, there are reports that Dell Demps and the New Orleans Pelicans were, were not taking the phone call from the Lakers. There are reports now that they have touched base. And now we'll see where this goes. We'll see how this situation works itself out. If I'm the New Orleans Pelicans, I'm going to take my time and I'm going to figure out the best possible trade and the best possible situation for my ball club. Now, I'm not giving a stud like Anthony Davis away. You don't give 26-year-old power forwards who are as good as Anthony Davis away. You don't give that away. You work your way through, and you find the best possible deal, whether that's with the Boston Celtics, which means you probably wait to the summer so you can get a bigger and better deal, whether that's with the Lakers. And you feel like that's the best possible route for you, you go that route right now. I'm sure you could get probably Ball, Kuzma, and Ingram. Is that what you want? If you're the New Orleans Pelicans, they, the report reportedly they are high on Lonzo Ball. So you wonder where that's going to go. But I don't have any issue, any problem with players trying to dictate where they want to go. I don't have no issue with that. I don't. I think it's a beautiful thing to see players have a level of power. And in this particular situation, a guy like Anthony Davis has a level of power here on some level because he could say at the end of the day, you know what? If you trade for me, I'm not re-signing with you. So if you're Boston, if you're another team or Philly or whatever other team, whatever team is out there that's willing to trade for Anthony Davis, obviously you're going to have second thoughts if you can't get a guy who's going to sign an extension. So you're going to have second thoughts. But I look at this situation, and it, to me, again, I love when players have power. I love when players, you know, can kind of dictate the terms of where they want to go because at the end of the day, in the NBA, if they want to trade you tomorrow, they can do it. They can pick up the phone, 
talk to a GM and say, you know what? I want you. I want this guy and that guy for this guy. And at the end of the day, you're packing your bags and you're going to a place that you may not want to go to. So if that's the NBA, that's life. So anytime a player has an opportunity to, to, to have some power, I'm all for it. But you know what? This situation, this situation stinks a little bit. It, it stinks from the standpoint that this guy, Anthony Davis, same representation as LeBron James, and it just something about this just stinks. It stinks. Doesn't smell good. But hey, again, I have no issues with player using players using their power, but something about this just ain't right. Just not right. It's just not right to me. But I'm with Charles Barkley. You know, actually, I'm not with Charles Barkley in terms of Adam Silver vetoing any trade for Anthony Davis, but just doesn't smell right to me. Let's bring in a caller. Hey. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm all right. How about you? Doing well, doing well. All right, that'll work. Yeah, I hear the, the line of thinking you're on, but I, I think – I think you kind of got to pick a side on this, man. I don't think you can ride the fence on this and say, like, we, we all support, for the most part, I think we all support the idea of stars and players being able to control their destiny. Why? Because that's what the NBA is built on as far as it being this huge profit machine. It was built on the idea of superstars on teams, not teams first. So because of that, the players are going to have a little bit more leverage than in other leagues. You know, besides baseball, because you already know how that goes. They're right. running stuff over there. But but with basketball, especially with Anthony Davis, uh, why wouldn't he put himself in the best position to not only make the most money, but put a, put himself into that, that rarefied air of being a potential Hall of Famer by playing with LeBron and creating great moments for himself? There's nothing wrong with that. The problem becomes, at a certain point, when Dale Dimps and that you know, Pelicans front office was so incompetent that I know people don't like this to be said, but David Stern had to step in and create a better deal for them because they took such a terrible one when they were taking back Lamar Odom and all these other old contracts instead of young players in picks. Yeah, yeah, it was a horrible trade. When you go back and look at what Dale Dimps agreed to, it was ridiculous. So now we're to the point to where teams are saying, okay, we're going to push back against stars. And it's like, no, you're actually being selfish and not thinking about the league as a whole. The reputation that San Antonio is creating now and that possibly New Orleans is creating now is going to drive players, what, away from them because they're going to see how ugly some of these divorces are. And that's not going to stop people from wanting to create, you know, control their destiny. It's going to say, okay, certain teams are off my board as far as where I would go. The smaller, you know, smaller market owners are actually making this situation worse by thinking we're going to squeeze somebody or we won't trade you to where you want to go or, you know, all these other different things they're doing when the reality of it is these stars that you can flip for multiple draft picks and young pieces, if you're good at your job, you should be able to build yourself into a contender. We laughed at Divac when they traded DeMarcus, but you look around at that Sacramento roster now and you say, yeah, they did a pretty good job of doing what they did. You know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm not against the idea of, of players being able to do what they want to do, but I think we give ownership and front offices way too much country 
and not looking at the incompetence that leads to the situation where the guy wants to leave and then trying to stonewall somebody and talk about where you're not going to send them. That Lakers deal is a good deal, man. You're getting all their young pieces and picks. Like I, it's not bad. Look, it's it's not bad. I just, I mean, from my standpoint, it just it just stinks a little bit from the standpoint. LeBron, Clutch Sports, Anthony Davis. It it just it's something about that doesn't sit right. But I, hey, I get your point, and I think it's a legitimate point. And yes, I am kind of on the fence here because I feel like yes. I love I love when players have power. I love it. I love it. I love what LeBron James is doing. I love it. It's great. But at the same time, when it comes to this particular situation, I guess the predictability of it. I mean, we realized yeah, and we, we saw we once <laughs> he signed with Clutch right. Sports in the summer. It was pretty much a done deal that Anthony Davis was going to the Lakers. It, it seemed like a done deal. Yeah, see, now I gotta bend. I gotta bend a little bit. Like, okay, the idea of clutch sports. Yeah, there's a conflict of interest built into this, built into it. The idea that LeBron, as an active player, will have this entity <laughs> acting as an agent for players, knowing good and damn well they're gonna do things that are, you know, most likely to benefit them and use their influence to also get what they want. So I agree, clutch sports is a problem, but we do have to say it's legal. It's, it's, it's kind of a right. loophole issue. By the letter of the law, it's, it's okay. They can do that. But as far as, you know, us looking at it from the outside, you're like, okay, clearly this is conflict of interest. Like you're representing sure. LeBron and, <laughs> and you're steering things in your direction. So I, I definitely agree with you on that part. But how do you change that, man? And, and how different from, from the David Falk days is this, though? You know, the days of the super agent. That's true. That's true. Because at the end of the day, you know, they manipulated situations to put their clients in the best possible situation. So, I mean, it, it's really kind of really no different. I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just a little, it, it just stinks. But I get it. It is what it is. It's the nature of the game. It's the nature of the business. And I look at the situation with the Lakers, and I think the Lakers do have to move fast. They have to do something because – you know, LeBron going down with that groin injury, he's back now. But that has to scare you from the standpoint he's getting older. He's getting older, and so that window is only but so big. So you right. got to get this done now if you're the Los Angeles Lakers. you got to figure out and try to find yourself a superstar. So I think it's incumbent upon Magic to be super aggressive and trying to get this deal done as soon as he can. You don't want anybody else swooping in and and, and trying to take him. You want to try to get this done now because if you don't get Anthony Davis, now you go through the free agency situation again. Maybe Durant comes. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe Clay Thompson comes. Maybe he doesn't. So it's a lot of maybe situations. Maybe Cousins comes, DeMarcus Cousins. Maybe he goes to Lakers, but maybe he won't. So I think you have to be super, super aggressive if you're Magic in the Los Angeles Lakers in this particular situation, super aggressive. Yeah, ma- ma- Magic has to say yes to anything. Like, there's, yes. there's nothing that Dips and those people can say that Magic will say no to. He has to say yes immediately. Let's get it done. Let me send the paperwork over to you. Because, that, I mean, that's just the position. But I think uh, Boston is really over-levered, and, and Danny Ainge has misplaced his hand 
has misplayed his hand by stacking so many different things, but there's really no direction. So you got a bunch of people stuck in the same position, and now you basically got the young boys rebelling because they clearly see, you know, Gordon Hayward is, is, is either still injured or not fully recovered yet, and they're getting tired of Uncle Kyrie kind of, you know, talking down to him. And honestly, the idea that Boston is some kind of destination place for all NBA players is kind of absurd. Like, we've changed our mind because of the KG, era, KG Paul Pierce, Ray Allen era. But the idea that Anthony Davis wants to live in Boston, like, that's not normal. Like, we're going by NBA history. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, right. The idea that Boston's approaching this as if they're just guaranteed to be a player there, I don't know, because I could see him getting shipped there and saying, no, I'm not signing long-term. Hence the Kyrie situation they're in right now. Right. Because uh, as a black dude, I hate to tell you, say this, but uh, Boston <laughs> ain't really the most welcoming city. <laughs> you do, you know, growing up, you know, in the 80s, obviously that was the talk. I mean, because if you had Celtics and Lakers, the thought was the Celtics were the white guys, the Lakers were the black guys. It was, it was a little black and white going on in there. Maybe a lot of black and white going on with that particular situation. But oh, yeah. you look at, I mean, I think Boston is still a great, is a great NBA city. And I think players would want to go there. And I'm not sure Anthony Davis does. I think Anthony Davis, I think it's pretty clear where he wants to go. I mean, yeah. there are teams a la, uh, uh, you know, what the Thunder did with Paul George and what Toronto is trying to do with Kawhi Leonard. Maybe there's a team out there that can say, you know what, let me take a chance, let me take a plunge, and maybe mm-hmm. he'll come here, he'll love the situation, and he'll want to stay. I mean, maybe it's that can happen. Poker. It, it's high-risk poker, though. And, okay, see, that situation is so singular in that he's practicing every day with Russell Westbrook. He's hanging out with Russell Westbrook. Russell can kind of – he has a way of the people who hate him hate him a lot, but the people who like him really like him. So right. Russell is somebody who – where you could take that chance because he could probably bring – you know, he, he was able to bring George into the fold. When you talk about these other situations where you're giving up, you know, a lot of assets and then the guy walks out the door and now you're in rebuilding mode without strong assets, like, ooh, that's a good way to get fired. So I – so I don't know, man, and, and who the hell knows what Kawhi's thinking because he doesn't talk. So right, I, and who knows? I mean, we thought at one point he wanted to go to Los Angeles, but to me, if you look at that Toronto situation, that's a good situation for him. It, it seems like a very good situation for him. It, it's a basketball crazed city. I mean, he can. It seems like he can hide there. I mean, it seems like it kind of fits the bill for him in a lot of different ways. But like you said, who knows what this guy's thinking? Right. Let me make this point, too, because I think we we sometimes get caught up in the player side. Let's think about the ownership side. Do you really want Kawhi as the face of your franchise in your major city to kiss the babies and, and, you know, do all (laughs) the glad handing and all of that stuff? Like, I don't know if I want him out front doing that. I I think in Toronto, like you said, where he can hide and – you're kind of going to have Lowry do all the cute, cuddly stuff. You know, it, it works. But Kawhi as the number one guy, I don't know, man. Well, can he hide? I mean, you got LeBron who's going to take all the hits. So, I mean, yeah. the Lakers is a, is a spot that maybe it's kind of – actually, he can't hide there. It's impossible. It's going to be impossible <laughs> with LeBron, 
Los Angeles, he, he can't hide. It's not going to be possible for him to hide in that particular situation. Just not. Yeah. He can't do it. Yeah. So uh, your it, car is not available for the reporters after the game. Or he comes <laughs> out and gives one word answers like that's what like I don't want I, I wouldn't want Kawhi as the front line. Well, he can be your best player, but I don't want him as the front line front line face of the franchise. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. It's like San Antonio, that was perfect for him. I mean, you know, he won the finals MVP. He did his thing. He was big time. But he didn't necessarily have to be the face. Pop pretty much was the face in a lot of ways. I mean, Toronto, yeah. again, same situation. He can hide. But anywhere else, I mean, it, it becomes a little more difficult for him to hide. In Los Angeles, the Lakers, maybe with the Clippers. Maybe with the Clippers, mm. he can hide a little bit. You know, it, it, they are the Clippers. I mean, it is Los Angeles, but it is the Clippers. So he can hide probably yeah. a little bit there. A little bit. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I agree, man. Yeah, Before man, we get out of here, I want to see what Super Bowl, how you see it? Uh, I think the Rams actually pull off a close victory, man. And the only reason I'm saying this is because the guy who probably should have been MVP of the league, but we don't reward defensive players, the one thing that bothers Tom Brady, pressure up the middle. And I think that dude is coming all day and day. And I don't think the uh, the Pats are going to be able to screen their way away from him, man. That guy's a monster. That's going to be interesting. You see his body? I mean, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. The dude – a defensive tackle, they don't look like that. They don't look like that at all. It's crazy. Oh, man, he'll make you feel like uh, the work you did in the gym was for nothing. Like, you, you'll see a picture of him, and you'll say, damn, I didn't do nothing today in the gym. Basically. That was a waste of time. <laughs> we'll see what happens, man. It should be a lot of fun. Appreciate the call. All right. all right, man. I'm going to hang back and listen. Have a good one, dude. All right. You too. So, let's move on now. Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta, hot Atlanta. Going to be a fun game. You got the Patriots, you got the Rams. And here's the thing, before we get there, I'm tired of all this talk about the Saints and all the bad calls and, uh, you know, they don't. the Rams don't belong here, yada, yada, yada. It's done. It's over. Let's move forward. At the end of the day, calls happen. Well, you could go back to the Houston Oilers. Look at that, 1979 or something. Where uh, uh, I forgot the wide receiver. Oh, man, He's, the name escapes me. But he supposedly got two feet down, but they called him out of bounds. A lot of people say if that was called a touchdown, the Oilers would have won that particular game and they would have made it to the Super Bowl. Hey, shoulda, coulda, woulda. These things happen in the National Football League. Bad calls happen, it's just a part of the game, fortunately or unfortunately, depending what side you're on. It happens. But at the end of the day, should it happen? No, of course not. But mistakes happen. These are humans. These guys are moving super fast. And we're expecting these officials to to make calls on the spot and make it correctly and perfectly. We want them to make it correctly. That's what they should do. That's their job. But we're asking them to be perfect. And that's something there that's humanly impossible. Now, I do believe at some point in time, we do need to figure out some type of system where we can, you know, make calls. We, excuse me, we can go to replay and look at some of these things. They got to figure it out. That's what it is. That's why they make all the money. My thing is, yes, let's let's challenge 
pass interference calls, but I only think they should challenge calls that are already made. So, for example, if they were to call pass interference on that particular play against the Saints with the Rams there, then they would be able to challenge it. That's what I believe. But also, I also do believe that you should be able to challenge some personal foul calls as well from this standpoint. It's so fast, and sometimes officials just guess. And we look at the AFC Championship game where that personal foul was called on Chris Jones, I believe, from the Chiefs, on Tom Brady, and the ref thought that Jones had slapped Brady's head, but in essence, he slapped Brady's shoulder pads. So in that particular situation, that was a huge play. That was a huge play in that particular game, and 15 yards is a lot. It's a lot. And obviously, pass interference, that could be a huge, huge call. I mean, in essence, that could be, in, in some respect, at times it could be an 80-yard penalty depending on the situation. I mean, it can be a, a penalty with all that can really change a game. So I do believe that coaches should have two challenges like they do now, and they can use those two challenges in various ways. They are, every turnover is already reviewed. Every scoring play is already reviewed. So it's how the coaches decide to use their challenges, and I think we should open it up to those other plays because at the end of the day, those plays are game-changing plays. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, that's dead. That's gone. The Saints are gone, and I'm happy that the Saints are gone, by the way. Side note, I'm an Eagles fan. These Saints, man, they're – they, those guys were, were rubbing it in on my Eagles when they beat us. So I, I'm good with the Saints being home. Bye-bye. But I will say this. I will say this. I do think a matchup of maybe Breeze and Brady would, look, would be a little better than this one. I do think a matchup of maybe Mahomes and Breeze would be a little better. But I, I, it is what it is at this point. We got what we got. So let's look at this game. Got the Patriots. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl for the ninth time. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. In this era of football, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. That should be unheard of. But it's not when it comes to Brady and Belichick, at least. So we look at Brady. This guy, he could get his sixth Super Bowl. And I come into this game and I say to myself, it's kind of like last year. I look at last year's Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52, and I'm look, when I looked at Super Bowl 52, I said to myself, the Philadelphia Eagles have more talent than the New England Patriots. The key, the question is going to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady elevated the Patriots in that game. He threw for over 500 yards. He did almost everything in his power to win that game. They almost stole that game because of the play of Tom Brady, because of the greatness of Tom Brady, and because of what Tom Brady brings to the table. Fortunately, fortunately, and I say fortunately, and I, when I say fortunately, I say fortunately for me, Brandon Graham found a way uh, to slap the ball out of Tom Brady's hands. Derek Barnett found a way to recover it, and the Philadelphia Eagles found a way to win that football game. But I will say this, Tom Brady almost stole it. And I feel like as I'm looking at this game and we look at the Rams coming into the season, we all said this team was the most talented team in football. 
We, we all talked about the talent that the Rams had. We were all saying, wow, they, they added Sue to Aaron Donald. We're saying, wow, they added Brandon Cooks to what they had on the offensive side of the ball. I'm like, wow, we're saying, wow, this team, they added Akeem Tlaib. They added Marcus Peters. And we're saying, wow, this Rams team was already talented. This Rams team was already good. And now they added all these different pieces, and we're saying, man, this team is a very talented football team, and this team should get to the Super Bowl. And they did. And they did. And then they have the hot shot young coach and Sean McVay. So they have everything. They have everything. And they're here, where many thought they would be. They're here. And the Patriots, them being here is a credit to Brady and Belichick. I mean, we talked to Lorenzo Alexander from the Bills last week, and he said something that is telling to me. He talked about the Patriots and their ability to scheme, Belichick's ability to scheme. And if you watch that game against the Chiefs, they did something different that the Chiefs didn't see in that first game these two teams played in the regular season. So they were able to shut the Chiefs out in the first half. It was 14 to nothing going into halftime. And the one thing Lorenzo Alexander said that was interesting, he says the Patriots will be able, and, and he's talking about this particular game against the Rams, he said the Patriots would be able to scheme their way enough where they would limit the Rams enough where they can get out ahead and ultimately get to victory. And it's a great point. It's a great, great point that he brought up there. It's a great point. And their ability to scheme, their ability, Belichick, I mean, the, the guy's a genius, maybe the greatest coach of all time. And his ability to scheme, you give Bill Belichick two weeks to figure you out, that's not a good situation, usually. Now, Sean McVay's on the other side. He's supposedly a genius as well. So we'll see where that situation goes. But I look at the Patriots, and I say to myself, the key to this game is look at the Patriots in these playoffs. Look at them against the Chargers. Why were they so effective? Because they were able to run the ball with Sony Michelle. Over 200 yards in that particular game. They were effective. Why did they beat the Chiefs? One of the reasons they beat the Chiefs, because they were able to run the ball. Michelle and Burkhead were effectively able to run the ball against the Kansas City Chiefs. Why has Brady been so good in these playoffs? It helps that he's great, yes, because he's great, but he also, also he hasn't been sacked in these playoffs. That's huge. That's big. And the one thing we've seen, the teams that have been able to beat Brady and the Patriots were teams that have been able to get after him. The New York Giants were able to beat the New England Patriots twice in the Super Bowl. Not because of the greatness of Eli Manning, because he was pretty good in those Super Bowls. He was a Super Bowl MVP two times. So he did his thing. But one of the reasons is they were able to get after Brady. They were able to knock him down. They were able to make him uncomfortable. They were able to make him think a little bit. The Rams have to do that. And 
Thus far in these playoffs, Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue have been doing that. They've been making it uncomfortable for quarterbacks. And so they have to do this and do that against Tom Brady. But one thing they all have to do before we even talk about rushing the passer, they have to stop the run. You have to limit Michelle and and Burkhead. You can't let those guys uh, have 200-plus yards rushing. You can't let that happen. If you can find a way to stop that, limit that, you have an opportunity. You have a chance. But it starts with that. It starts right there. You have to be able to stop the run. You have to be able to limit that running game. Now, the question is, in the regular season, the Rams were 23rd against the run. So teams have had success on the ground against this football team. So the reality is, while it's important for them to stop the run, teams have shown the ability to run against this team. Teams have shown the ability that they can do some things on the ground. In the regular season, the Rams gave up 122 yards a game on the ground. They got to do better in that particular situation if they want to win this game. They can't let those guys, Michelle, Burkhead, James White, you can't let those guys do damage on the ground because it's not it, – It's you, you can't win. You're not going to win if that happens. I don't think the Rams can win the game if that happens, if they don't stop the run. Can't do it. Cannot do it. So I think that's very important that the Rams try to stop the run. Obviously, every team goes into the game wanting to stop the run, but it's imperative for the Rams to stop the run if they want to win this game. I do think that I do think that the Rams can score on the Patriots. I do think that's the case. And I also think the Patriots score on the Rams. I really do. Because this Rams defense, better in the playoffs, but not that great. It's not a great defense. It's not the defense that I think we thought they would be when they made all these signings in the offseason. It's not that defense. We thought it's it's an average defense. It's a middle-of-the-road defense. It's an average defense. And this Patriots defense, average. Obviously, both of these defenses in terms of rank are below average. The Rams were 19th overall in overall defense, while the Patriots were 21. But the key metric, the key metric, always to me, when it comes to defense, is how many points are you giving up? That is always. That's a key metric. The Rams give up 23, 24 points per game in the regular season, while the Patriots 
give up 20 points a game, 20.3. So the Patriots are seven, Rams are 20. So that, that key metric to me, the key metric to me always when it comes to defense is how many times you're letting guys get into the end zone. Are you keeping teams out of the end zone? So the key is, the key is, can biggest key, the biggest key to me in this game is that Rams defense against that Patriots offense and their ability to stop the run. You have to make Tom Brady one-dimensional, if you can. You've got to make Tom Brady one-dimensional. If you can do that, if, if you can make Tom Brady one-dimensional, guess what? You have a better chance of getting after Tom Brady. You have a better chance of, poor, of, of putting the Patriots more obvious passing situations if you stop the run. But you have an opportunity, you got to get after this boy. You got to get after the GOAT, Tom Brady. That's what you got to do. It is imperative that you get after Tom Brady. History tells us, has shown us, it is imperative that you get after Tom Brady. Otherwise, if you don't get after Brady, it'll be a long night. And the Philadelphia Eagles, let's be honest, they didn't get after Tom Brady. They didn't get after Tom Brady. Fortunately for the Eagles, that Patriot defense wasn't that great. Fortunately for the Eagles, Nick Foles, was on a magic carpet ride and played out of his mind. Played out of his mind. Nick Foles was special in that game. We talked about, hey, you know what? Carson Wentz and what he did last year, but I don't know if Carson Wentz could have done what Nick Foles did in those playoffs, especially against the Vikings and the Patriots. I go back to the first Super Bowl between the Giants and the Patriots. And I look at, I was interested, and I looked at the rushing stats. And I looked at the Patriots' rushing stats. And uh, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis, 44 yards on the ground. Welker, 21. Woodhead, 18. So they didn't do serious damage on the ground. What is that? Seven. That's that five, six. 65, that's 83 yards on the ground. Giants defense did their job. So you have a situation where you're able to force the Patriots to be, you know, dependent solely on Tom Brady. Obviously, you're more effective. But it, it, it becomes a tough road if they're running the ball and then Brady's hitting you with those play-action passes. It becomes a tough road. We look at the Patriots offensively. We look at the team. You look at the Patriots as a team. And there's not many names that you're just like, that pops. They're not 
a lot of names that pop. Obviously, Tom Brady, that name rings bells and a lot of bells, a whole lot of bells. That name rings bells. Edelman, on some level, his playoff production, big time. Obviously, Gronk, that name rings bells. Defensively, you're looking around, you see Gilmore, you know, Hightower maybe, Ray Flowers. But again, not a lot of bell ringing when it comes to this, uh, this, this Patriot football team. It doesn't ring bells. Conversely, you look at the Rams, Golf, Gurley, Woods, Sue, P, uh, uh, Tlaib, Donald. You got a lot of bell ringing names. McVay, and I forgot Belichick on the Patriots side. A lot of bell ringers. Bell ringers. I, I, I say all that to say this. I think the Rams have more talent here. I think the Rams and the Patriots offensively both can be equally explosive. Defensively, we look at on paper, the Patriots defensively are slightly better, statistically speaking. But I think the Rams have more playmakers on that side of the ball defensively. The Rams as a whole, I think, have more playmakers. And so, like I said, the key is run the ball. Can the Rams limit the Patriots running game? Obviously turnovers. Obviously turnovers when it when it comes to these games, playoffs and the Super Bowl. Turnovers are the great equalizer. The great equalizer. And and, and you look at Super Bowl fifty two, only one well actually um, actually was a wash. Falls through that pick. And then Brady with the strip sack, Brandon Graham. So it was a wash in terms of the uh, turnovers. But turnovers are the great equalizer. And they can change a game. It can make – that's why football is one of those games where the best team doesn't always win. Because the, the, a football is, can bounce a lot of different ways and can do a lot of different things that will cause – and change the, the, the tenor of a game. And so in the NFL, I've always contended that the best team does not win. It does not always win. So I'll, I say all that to say this. I think it's going to be a good Super Bowl. I think it's going to be a situation where you've got two great coaches at this point. McVay, I don't maybe great is a little bit of a stretch for McVay at this stage. You got a great coach in Belichick, and you got a very good coach in, in McVay, who looks like he possibly could be a great coach moving forward. I say all that to say this: I think the Rams have more talent, and I think the talent will win out. I think the Rams win this game, 24-21, and they win on a Greg Zerline 45-yard field goal at the buzzer to get it done. So 24-21, Rams get it done. I think they limit the Patriot run game. 
I do like what the Rams have been doing in these playoffs. I mean, they've been playing some – and they did hold a big-time New Orleans offense to 23 points in the championship game. You can argue that the New Orleans offense really hasn't been the same uh, late in the season and in the playoffs. But still, give the Rams credit. They were able to limit the uh, Saints. And they were ultimate. That's one of the reasons they were able to win the game, because they were able to limit New Orleans Saints. They were able to make the plays necessary down the stretch. They were able to get a big. They got pressure on Breeze, which caused the pick, which ultimately won the game. But you look at the running game. They held the Saints to 48 yards rushing. And that's a big-time running game in New Orleans with Kamara and Ingram. That's telling. That's telling when it comes to the Rams because they're going to need to do that when they play the Patriots. They're going to have to do the same thing. If Michelle and Burkhead do what they did to the Chiefs and the Chargers, Patriots win the Super Bowl. No doubt in my mind. Patriots win. If the Rams defense continues to step up and do what they did against the Cowboys and the Saints, and I think the Rams get it done. And, and against the Cowboys, they held the Cowboys to 50 yards. And again, that's a big time rushing team in Dallas. So the Rams have on some level in these playoffs at least, address the situation and their issues in the run game. We'll see what happens. C.J. Anderson, Todd Gurley, that one-two punch. Obviously, Jared Goff, Woods, Cooks, a lot of weapons. We'll see what happens. But I like Los Angeles winning 24-21. to Greg Zerline, 45-yard field goal. The buzzer, and the Rams win it. And the Rams will win Super Bowl 53, and Brady will end up 5-4 and four in Super Bowls. But you wonder, if Brady and the Patriots win, does Brady move on? And that's going to be interesting. I know he said he wanted to play to 45, but at some point in time, you know, you can't play forever. And, and I did hear something interesting, Matt Ryan saying with the new rules, that quarterbacks might be able to stick around a long time because – they're not going to be. Able, they're not going to take the same type of punishment. That's something interesting. Interesting, excuse me, to think about. And I guess I'll talk about that at a later moment. But you can listen to this show and other great shows. BlogTalkRadio.com/slash/pgant. Go for Radio.com, iHeart.com, Stitcher.com. So many different places to listen to the show. SF2.com. So make sure you go to those places and listen to this show. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. See you later.